one of the great gifts God gives us uh, to experience fullness of life is music and uh, opportunity for us to experience this, the, the joy of, of just sound that is portraying a message and uh, is beauty to the ears. But what's interesting in terms of uh, even taking uh, things in life that we enjoy is uh, so often we can take things in life that we enjoy and take them for granted. And the Bible tells us there's coming a time when the music will stop. There's coming a time when, when God's going to get everybody's attention as he comes a second time and there will be silence. And that silence will be deafening because they understand that the, the wrath of God will be poured out on this earth. But the Bible says not only will there be periods of silence, ultimate and full silence in the future, there will, there will be also darkness. There will be a time in which darkness will invade and surround everything that is living on this planet. And what we don't realize, though we've uh, mentioned it in the last number of weeks, that there have been other periods of time where there's been silence and darkness. Not, not so much maybe in the physical sense, so that was true as well. But before Jesus came the first time, there was silence. And there was darkness for God's people. When we anticipate Christmas coming, and it's seen in our shopping establishments, and we see it on the streets and in individual homes, uh, lights are decorating everything that we see. Anticipation for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. But for that Christ, first Christmas, there was not a grand exposure of light and music before Jesus was to arrive. In fact, it came to that point where they were wondering, would Jesus ever arrive, or that promised one? They had, they had heard and read the promises of God, and yet it did not seem that that God was fulfilling his plan. And, I, and I, I'm really convinced that many of you were beginning to wonder, could, could God be taken at his word? And often when we look back and we see the faithfulness of God, but then when it has not arrived lately, we wonder, did we somehow misinterpret what had happened? So in our presentation of Christmas this Advent season, the word Advent simply means coming, We've tried to portray it a little bit historically in terms that it was initially a period of darkness and silence. It was not filled with the music of the season. It was not filled with decorations being found every place. But it was darkness. And as we anticipate that and looking at the Advent candle as a symbol or object lesson for looking at really being prepared for Christmas, each one of these candles symbolizes historically uh, among God's people what ought to be remembered about that first Christmas. And, and as we think about Christmas, God always had a better plan. And that better plan was fulfilling His promises. And so the very first Advent candle that was used to remember the, the four Sundays before the celebration of the Christmas day was a, a candle of hope. It's called the prophecy candle because it, it gives us hope because God is faithful to the prophecies or the promises that He gave in the past. As we think about each one of these particular candles representing the meaning of Christmas is that when do you need hope? When you have no hope. And so they were without hope for 400 long years. Longer than our country has existed. And then 
as we think about God giving hope, we need to recognize that it is also so important to realize that not only does he bring hope, but he displays who he is. And as we think about God and most people, unless they're suppressing the truth, as the Bible tells us, they believe there is some kind of supreme being out there somewhere. But where is he to be found? And if we were to find him, what would he be like? And so the Advent season, the coming season, to announce very clearly that God is not only the giver of hope, but he's the giver of love. And it's what's called a Bethlehem can- uh, candle, which speaks about because of God's great love, he, he's willing to leave the, the majesty of heaven and, and come here and inhabit the earth so that he would be with us. But as you go from the prophecy candle to the Bethlehem candle, you now have the unique candle, which is a different color, and it's the pink candle. And it, it really kind of speaks of this 400 silent years, but now... The end is, in, is near, it's at hand. And so they became that place of anticipation that, that maybe God would arrive by fulfilling his promises. And it's called the joy candle or the shepherd's candle. As we, as we think about because of God's great uh, love for us, he, he gives us his love. And then as we go from the, the prophecy candle and the really the Bethlehem candle and the shepherd's candle, we now go to the place where we are today, which is experiencing that, that God, in the midst of all that he does, he wants us to understand not only does he promise us great joy, but he promises us great peace. And so in the midst of being in a world of conflict, God wants us to know that he is the one who can bring peace to people who desperately need it. With that as our backdrop, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we do thank you for your goodness and your grace. And we pray as we think about even this, what's known as the angel candle, which announces the news from the heavenly messenger that the one who is going to bring peace on earth, the one who is prince of peace, is about to arrive. That we might be prepared for that peace to invade our lives if we put our confidence in you. And on this morning when we examine that part of the Christmas story, that we might see how it applies to each one of our lives. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this last uh, Wednesday we had a great opportunity to have our children give a message in song in a creative way. They, they told a Christmas story with Star Wars thrown in for free. And it was a, this is a great message. It was not only a presentation filled with beauty and and uh, with children, it's always cute. But there was a message behind it, and it was a, it was a clear message. And if you remember last uh, Sunday, we, we wanted to encourage everyone to come that, that might be um, those who might hesitate because of the, the darkness of the evening. And so we said, if anyone needs a ride, just let us know, and we'll, we'll, we'll get someone to pick you up. Well, I had the opportunity and privilege to pick someone up uh, this past Wednesday, and and as we were uh, making sure, uh, to, you know, what time I would arrive to, to, to bring her chariot in my car to here, is that um, she was explaining to me how to get there. And, and after she gave me all the instructions, she finished with these, these last words. It's impossible to get lost. <laughs> but even as she said those words, she had this fear in her life that maybe... 
uh, the chariot might get lost. And so she said, what I'll do is I will, I will actually stand out in front to make sure I, you can see me. And being the kind and gentle guy that I am, I said, well, no, I don't want you to freeze out there. I, I won't get lost. And so as I went to pick up Audrey, in case you're wondering who that is, I was picking up Audrey, and, and uh, I got there, and I made the first right into the, the mobile home complex. And, and I, so I, you know, step one, accomplished. Then I was to go to the clubhouse, make a left. I got to the clubhouse, made a left, doing really well. Then she told me when I needed to turn right. It was kind of a dead end to a right, made that right. Uh, and then, so the first three steps I did perfectly, and then all of a sudden I found myself, and I discovered that I was lost okay so so uh trying to figure out how to get there i was moving around and and the reason it was more difficult to find where where audrey was is because when it's all dark you can't see the signs you know that can distinguish the the streets you see the lights on the houses but you can't see the the signs and so i'm i'm driving around and all of a sudden, you know, I realized that there, there have been times where I have gotten lost in the past. So, so uh, you know, I brought my phone with me and, I, you know, I called her. And, and as I called her, uh, she said, well, you know, I, I thought this might happen. So I was looking for you and I saw you just drive past my street. And all you have to do is make a U-turn and you'll find me. And as, uh, as she shared that with me, and, you know, I made the U-turn and found her, and she was right there where she said she would be. It reminded me of what the Christmas story really is all about. It, it, it's all about recognizing it's not, it's not us so much looking for God, but it's God looking for us. It, it's not that God is lost, and many people think that's really the problem, is, is God has somehow made himself obscure where you know, it's like that game, remember the ch child game where, you know, the hot potato, I think it was called that, and you're, you're getting warmer, you're getting colder, and, and, and God has placed himself in a place that you, you have to try to hunt to find him. It's not that, that God is lost, we are lost. And the whole time where I was looking for Audrey, Audrey was looking for me. And then the whole solution was, once, once I got the message, is I had to decide, was I willing to make the U-turn? And doesn't that really describe what it means to come to know God? We're going down our own path. We're thinking we're doing all right. I mean, I thought I was on the right street, and I thought I was going to be able to see her. But I missed it because, you know, I was, I was putting maybe too much reliance on my own skills to make sure I could get there. And I had to come to the point where I admitted that I needed to turn around and be where I needed to be. And see, that's, what, that's the message of Christmas. Is, is recognizing that, that we have a need to receive from God what only He can give. We need His hope when at times we feel hopeless. When, when, we, feel, when we recognize that we, we at times feel unloved and, and He is the source of complete love. When, when our life is not filled with that which we want it to be filled with and we're looking for happiness in all the wrong places and He said, look at Joy comes from me. Not only joy, but great joy. And, and when we're filled with conflict in, in our inner being, when we just are distraught with, with things that are going on, we need to recognize that, that peace does not come in a political solution. Or even from people around us. It comes from the Prince of Peace. And we need to find that, that He is the source 
of true peace. So this morning, in a very simple message, we're going to look at what, what God offers people at this very precious time in all of history where, where God became a man. So if you have your outlines this morning and your Bibles, uh, let's look at what God's better plan is. God's better plan, you know, is Christmas. And God's better plan in specific ways and specific things for today. God's better plan for us is that he wants us to experience his peace. And what I want to do initially is turn to a verse that's not in your outline. It's in your outline, but it's not written out. It's John 14, 27. And, and these are the words of Jesus that he spoke about peace. And he said this to a, a doubting congregation at the moment, his 12 disciples. And he said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And at that moment, that was the last thing that they were experiencing because they were just filled with despair because Jesus was talking about his death and, and, and trying to give them the reality that, that he was no longer going to be in their physical presence. And think about people in your life that they're so dear to you and so important to you. And, and just to think that they're going to be gone sometime. And whether you can anticipate directly because of their health or, or realizing that they're going to be moving to a distant part of the country or another part of the world and, and recognizing that person who gives you great joy or peace in life is going to be gone, you're, you're, you're not describing life in a positive way but in a negative way. And so Jesus speaks to people who don't have peace. I'm going to leave you some peace. And I want you to understand how how great this peace is. It's, it's not some stranger on the streets peace. It's my peace I leave with you. And then he describes it again as, as, as not as the world gives peace. The world gives peace in some type of, again, a, a political uh, contract called a treaty that doesn't last very long. So when the, when the treaty is in, in vogue, maybe there's a ceasefire for a certain period of time, but it doesn't last. He said, I'm not going to give you peace that doesn't last, not as the world gives. And then he says, do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Peace is one of those words that are, are almost impossible to describe what it is. You can almost sometimes describe what it's not. It's not living life in a sense where, where, where all you are experiencing, experiencing in life is is troubleness of, of mind or heart. And even troubleness, I think, sometimes is not as clear as it could be. It really has the idea of being filled in life with confusion. When, when you can't figure things out, isn't that frustrating? When, when you're, I don't care whether you're trying to fix something or you're trying to understand what's going on in life and, and you're just filled with confusion. Because Jesus was saying, don't be confused. I have the answers. I have a perspective on life that, that will change everything. And then he says, and, and do not be fearful. That's, again, the opposite of, of peace. One is to be confused, and the other is to be filled with fear. And the fear here he's specifically talking about is that feeling that somehow life is out of control. And when we feel life is out of control, we're not experiencing peace. We're experiencing confusion. And we're distraught with what is going on. Well, that's kind of looking at peace from a, in, in one sense, uh, what it's not. Well, what is it? 
This is going to be a long introduction to a short message. Well, it's not going to be too short a message, but, but what is peace? Well, let's, let's take a little bit from the, the Jewish perspective. They have a word that they use, and it's one of those words they can use just about in every kind of setting because it has such a, a, um, a power to it in terms of, of what it, it means that can be applied to almost every part of your life. And, and the Jewish word for peace, and you've probably heard, many of you have heard, it's the word shalom. Just turn to the person next to you and say shalom. You know, shalom is used by the Jewish people historically as well as even in a contemporary setting almost in every situation. If they, if they greet you, they'll say shalom. Hi. Instead of saying hi, they'll just simply say shalom. If you're leaving and you're saying goodbye, they'll say shalom. If uh, something is good that is happening, they'll say shalom. If something bad is happening, they'll say shalom. I mean, it's, it can be used in every situation. It's almost an untranslatable word or, or, or truth. It really is expressing to people, I want what's best for you. I, I, I want you to experience the fullness of life that only God can provide. But, but it has some other nuances that is directly related to peace. It's, it would probably be translated just with the one word peace most often. But in your outline, I have like four words. Two of them I've already typed out. We've typed out, but uh, two fill in the blanks. And the first one I think is, is so helpful is we understand when, when the angels promised that peace was going to be come on this earth because the Prince of Peace was coming, what were they saying? They're saying shalom to the world. And what peace or shalom means is, is might you experience wholeness? I, I, want your, I want your life to experience what life is supposed to be, which is put together. And I guess the opposite of wholeness is brokenness, right? And isn't why, that's why Jesus came? Because he came to a broken world filled with broken people that needed to be made whole. Sometimes we'll use the, you know, we'll, we'll talk about people that are really struggling in life and, and, and maybe in a throwaway line, we're trying to point them in the right direction and we'll just say, man, can't you get your act together? And what we're trying to say is, look, you got pieces that are going everywhere, and, and you're going you're gonna to struggle in life if you don't somehow get these pieces together. Some of you are really good at making things. I, I was just, you know, and, and building things. And I usually break things, don't build things, you know. But when you, when you make things, you get those things together, and you make that which was in various parts whole, it now functions the way it's supposed to function. And that's what God is saying when he wants us to experience peace. I want you to be whole on the inside. Doesn't mean that there aren't all kinds of things happening out there that you're maybe even struggling with, but, but that you're, you're, you're whole. You know, you're not Humpty Dumpty that fell off the wall and no one could get the pieces back together again. That no matter how many times you've fallen, that God picks you up, dusts you off, and puts those pieces back together. Shalom, peace. Now, the next word I have in your outline uh, is the word reconciliation. Well, how does that happen? How does that happen even tied to the Christmas story? Because the Christmas story is it's the Happy New Year. It's the beginning of God's program, the real part of His program. Well, peace happens when we get reconciled 
with God. Now, reconciliation, the word reconcile is kind of, you know, a word we don't use a lot, but it's taking, you know, two entities and particularly two people that are apart and bringing them to what? Together. And the Bible talks about two types of peace. There's the, there's the peace of God, which is what we can experience internally, but before we can experience peace internally, we have to experience peace with God. And that's what reconciliation is. And some people, want, they want to jump past that. They want to say, I just want to feel good about God. I want God to feel good about me, and I want to feel good about life. And that's, that's a great goal, but that's not going to happen, which is the peace of God, until you have peace with God. You, you ever, have you ever had a broken relationship, and, and you just thought, you just hope these people just forget about it and just move on? And maybe you've you know, bought in that line, well, time heals all. And, and there is a place where, you know, love covers a multitude of sins, and we don't have to clean up every little mess. But most often, if there's been a big break in a relationship, that relationship is not going to be mended. There won't be peace in that relationship. And somehow there hasn't been something done to reconcile that which has broken that relationship, right? There has to be a serious conversation. There has to be a meeting of, of what people have done wrong to, to mess that up. The Bible also says, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. I mean, it takes two to, to bring that relationship back together. But there has to be something that's fixed. And see, that's why the peace with God is God bringing us, and now we'll make it vertical, you know. God's here and he brings us to himself because he came down to us. And so as we think about peace at Christmas, it's about us understanding that, that God takes that which separates us from him and through his work on the cross, we can be forgiven, made clean, reconciled. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. But after you get peace with God, you, you want to experience the fruit of that, right? Okay, I, God is no longer my enemy, and I'm no longer his enemy. He has written that peace treaty in his blood, uh, print hands. Well, how do I experience the fruit of that? And what is it when I'm experiencing that? Well, I, I have no words to rightly explain that because the Bible says that his peace is beyond comprehension. But if I were to use a couple words, and they might not be the best words, you can pick any words that work for you, but... It's experiencing contentment in life. Or what I like to say, it's, it's having an experience of rest. Where on the inside, there's a sense of calmness in the midst of the storm. There's, there's that, that really strong sense that, you know, even though, even though there's things that are wrong around me, there's rightness in me. And I can rest in that. That's, that's peace. Of God. And God wants all that for all of us. He wants us to be whole, not broken. And when we do break up, He wants us to realize that He can bring the pieces back together. And He wants us to recognize that when we engage in faith because of His grace, that we can be brought together with God, to God, reconciled. That we can be content and rest no matter what is happening. Well, who really needs peace? 
who really needs peace? And when, do we, and when do we need peace? Well, everyone needs God's peace. But when do we really need God's peace? Well, let's see that through the Christmas story. What I'm going to do is really look at four characters. We're going to look at Zacharias. We're going to look at John the Baptist. We're going to look at Mary and Joseph. And normally when we were in conversation with people, often before Christmas, we'll ask people, what are your plans for Christmas? And after Christmas, we'll ask people, well, how did your plans go? You know, how, how was Christmas? Well, how was Christmas for these four individuals as the first Christmas happened? What was Zacharias's and John the Baptist and, and, and Mary and Joseph's Christmas? And how does peace relate to that? When do we need God's peace? We need God's peace when we don't understand the whys and the hows of life. And again, it's been impressed on my mind as I've been going through these you know, simple but profound things. God wants us to have hope and love and joy and peace. When do you, when do you need that most? When you don't have it, right? I don't need peace when I have it. I don't need hope when I have it. I don't need love when I feel love. And I don't need any of this until I really realize I have to have it. And so when, when do we need peace? When we don't understand the whys in the house. In Luke chapter uh, 1, we have the experience of Zacharias who, who had a, an event in which he t- couldn't understand. He goes, uh, here, here, here's the account. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. He was doing um, some, some work as a priest, and, and God arrived on the scene. And um, he was surprised by God arriving on the scene with a heavenly messenger, which is what an angel is. Uh, and Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel. And we already heard from Jesus that one thing peace is not, it's not being troubled. It's not being confused. It's not being overwhelmed by your circumstance. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, what he says almost to anybody that he comes in contact with, do not be what? Afraid. And so the angel speaks out the message of, of, look at God does not want you to be filled with fear. He wants you to be filled with faith. And then he says, by the way, what you've been praying about has been answered. Have you ever been surprised by a prayer that you prayed for a long period of time actually got answered? Because really you were just kind of praying out of habit, and then you realize God is still listening, and he still might answer this. For your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. Now Zacharias now is just totally uh, just dumbfounded. Because it's quite possible he had quit praying that prayer because he thought, okay, this prayer no longer could be answered because the time frame is, has been too long and I'm no longer capable of doing what God could do, which is bring me a child. And in verse 13 it says this, or verse 18, Zacharias said to the angel, how will, you know, how will I know this for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Uh, he, he didn't even really understand. Well, you know, he just wanted a, a child. He, he, he just wanted to, to have uh, in his home the little ones. And now, almost when he was too old to enjoy the child. And, have I told you I, I have a grandchild? Okay, no. <laughs> uh, this is part of my head. I didn't even say this the first service. But, you know, um, and, I, and I, still, I still try to think that I'm young and energetic and could do anything and everything. And that's what usually gets me in trouble. But, but. You know, for those of you who have had grandchildren, you realize that after a time that, that it, it's, it's so much, so much better to be a grandparent because, you know, you get to play with them and then they have to raise them, right? You know? <laughs> 
you know, is, and uh, it, it, you begin to realize, hey, I'm getting tired, you know, but they can go home and I can rest up. And, and it's quite pa- possible, possible, Zacharias and Elizabeth were saying, I'm glad you brought me a child, but why couldn't you bring when I could have enjoyed him a little bit more, you're right? And so he was going, why? And then, and then after you go, why, we're advancing years, you go, well, how? This, this doesn't happen when we're this old. And, and, and really what he was doing, he was questioning God, and we know he was questioning to the degree because the angel kind of got ticked off at him. Okay, you, you keep talking back to me. I'm just going to make you silent. No more questions. And, and I, I'm just portraying it this way. is When do we need a sense of God's presence and the point where we're content and we'll rest in what's happening? Well, we need it when we don't have answers to the whys. In the house. And, and, you know, we're not going to be going through what Zacharias is going through, but you might be going through, I know as a church we're going through this, the whys in the house. But God says, I can give you peace. But when else do we need peace? We need it when we don't have whys in the house. Believe that God is in control. They can do whatever he wants. And he does whatever he wants, and he does things that surprise us many times. But in that, we can trust him and rest in him. And then, secondly, we might we might say, "Well, how do that God does his he does what he does?" I mean, the angel announced God's going to do this independent of you. He had Zacharias and Elizabeth really had nothing to do with this, other than God says, "I'm going to do the miraculous." I'm going to bring life into your womb. It's going to be in a natural way, not like Mary and Joseph, but I'm going to accomplish this. But what part do we play? Well, out of that womb of Elizabeth was going to come a a child. And really his only experience in the Christmas story, the first Christmas story, is that he arrived six months before Jesus arrived, and then we don't really hear from him until later. But let's find out later about John the Baptist. What was John the Baptist's Christmas purpose? Well, it doesn't happen until later when he's doing that which God had ordained him to be, which is to prepare the way for other people to be ready to hear about Jesus. And that's really our role as well. We prepare people to hear about Jesus. And his message was pretty simple. Uh, Matthew 3, 5, and 6. Then Jerusalem was going out to him, this is John the Baptist, and Judea and all the district around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they did what with their sins? Confessed their sins. And so as we think about what part we play in getting in on God's program, experiencing His presence in a deep way, let me just put it simply as possible. We need God's peace, and we get in on God's peace when we're honest about our sin. You know, the word confession has so many connotations, and it's a good word. It really simply means to agree with God what He sees about our behavior and and we can rationalize our sin, we can ignore our sin, we can, you know, run from our sin. And God says, look, just call it what it is, it's sin. And so, as people were wanting to get in on what John the Baptist was talking about, the promised one had arrived, and are you ready for the kingdom that's going to be at hand? He said, okay, there's, there's a requirement on your part. You've got to confess your sins. So, so Christmas is a place where we, we, we need God's peace, trusting Him, in the midst of a, a circumstance or a variety of circumstances that, that we just question with the why and the how. 
How could, how could this happen? Why did it happen? And what are you going to do about it? We need God's peace in that. And then we need to realize God always wants us to say, well, are, are you ready for me to do a work in your life? And for God to work in your life, he's, for us to be filled with peace, we've got to get rid of what's already in there that we're full of, right? If, if I'm filled with my own self, then the presence of Christ, in a sense, on a relational, there's no room for him, Right? You know, we've, we've all heard those cute stories about, you know, if you were there, would you make room at the inn or your house if Jesus had arrived on, at your doorstep? Well, you know, we don't even know. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of those stories about, you know, I don't know if there's a whole lot in there about with the innkeeper. We don't know a whole lot about what kind of building he had and all that kind of stuff. We don't, but the question is a kind of a devotional one for us. Do we make room not in a, you know, in a, in a baby you know, room or a child's room, but do we make room in our own heart? And when we're filled with our own sin, our own selfishness, then we don't have room for Jesus to, to rule and to reign. And so we got to get rid of that which is cluttering up our lives so that we have available for what he wants to do. So John the Baptist part in, in the story of Jesus is he, he called people to be confessing or being honest about their sin. Thirdly, Looking the life of Mary. And what Mary had to do is, is, is pretty straightforward. Uh, and she needed to get peace about it. And you get peace about what God wants to do in your life when you believe that God can do the impossible. In Luke chapter 1, verses uh, 37 and 38, kind of the end of that story that you're going to be reading this week, it says, For nothing, this is, Jesus, this is Mary speaking, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, what I want us to all realize is that first Christmas, it was not peaceful in terms of being quiet. There were all kinds of things going on. Nationally, over not only just years and decades, over centuries. And then on a personal level, God was announcing his program in a way that made absolutely no sense. You know, many people struggle with you know, the story of, of Jesus because, they say, well, how, how can you believe in such a thing called the virgin birth? Haven't you taken biology 101? That doesn't happen that way. And then often they'll turn you know, to other miracles recorded in the Bible and they'll say, well, how could that happen? And how could that happen? You can't believe that happened. And, and, and there, are, there are a variety of ways we can try to answer the skeptics' questions about the miraculous in the Bible, but you, you can get just to the, the thing that it all hinges on. If there is a God, what kind of God do you think there is out there? Do you think God is just a glorified more powerful man? I mean, that's basically what the Greek gods were. I mean, they, sometimes you couldn't figure out who, the, who, the, you know, who was more powerful, the, the people on the earth that they were ruling or the people up there, you know, and with Zeus. and you know, they, were just, they were just like glorified humans. Well, if that be the case, yeah, there, there's limits about what could happen. But if you see God, if there is a God... As such a supreme being that can do anything and everything, then 
What's impossible for God to do? I mean, could God speak the whole world into existence with a word out of his mouth? Could, could God bring life to someone who had, who had given up his last breath? I mean, walking on the water is nothing. Parting the Red Sea is nothing. Placing a life, his life, in a womb is nothing. Because with God, almost by definition, there's nothing impossible. Now, you can choose to believe there, there is no God. And, and you can choose to believe that this God is a weak God. But if there is a God... This is nothing. But at the point in your own life, you still have to say, okay, I believe God is able to do the impossible, but do you believe he can do the impossible for you? And the impossible here I'm defining as giving you peace when there's no reason for you to have peace. Because you're so bothered by what's going on. And I've had many conversations with people this week, I mean, not only this week, but this season, and, and they'll describe their life, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not on speaking terms with God right now. Now, I said, why? Because of the things that have happened to me, and not only to me, but to my loved ones. And at that point, what's the impossible is not some type of a creative event that could flow out of his hand, but it's giving you that which makes no sense, that he can give you peace when things are wrong. So when do we need God's peace? When we don't understand the whys and the hows of what's happening. When we, when we, need to re, when we realize that what God wants us first to do is, is be honest about our own sin. And, and when we need peace is when we we come to that point where we really believe that God is able to do the impossible. To give us hope, to give us love, to give us joy, to give us peace. When it just does not seem humanly possible, and it's not, but it is possible with God. So we've looked at Zacharias and... John the Baptist and Mary. Well, how about a figure that's often not talked a lot about? And you'll read that this week in your readings if you've been doing our Advent reading. I think it's on Wednesday this week. How about Joseph? What do we learn from Joseph? The New Testament doesn't tell us a whole lot about Joseph other than his part in the Christmas story. In the Christmas story with Joseph, and we'll just read from the Matthew account just real quickly. Uh, Matthew 1, 24 and 25. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You know, Joseph was a righteous man who had fallen in love with um, this lovely lady named Mary, probably very young of age. And wanted to dedicate his life to her and, and raise a family. Then all of a sudden he, he finds out that she's with child. And he, he knows that it didn't come from him. And being righteous and compassionate, he was going to put her away secretly, which is somehow protect her from what she could have received, which is stoning by death. And, and then God arrives on the scene and tells him his plan. And his plan was a better plan. His plan was to, to, 
be faithful to his promises and, and bring the, the promise from the Savior to this planet in a miraculous way through a virgin birth. And as he hears this, I, I'm sure he's thinking, okay, uh, and, and maybe theologically he was just like Mario. I know God can do the impossible so he can make this happen, but if this happens, you know, my life is going to be a mess in many ways. I don't I mean, know as a fool who, who married someone who was already pregnant. And, 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 and people will think that, uh, that somehow that I'm raising up this bastard child, and that's what Jesus often was called. And he had a side, okay, I know God can do it, but do I want to participate in it? And so the presence of God will result in the peace of God. But us not only need to be honest about where we fall short, we have to decide, will we do what God wants us to do? Will we do what he says? And, of course, Joseph took the, the path that God wanted him to follow. And he was willing to do, take on Mary as his wife, even though he knew he would hear all those things throughout his life. But in the midst of that, in an unpeaceful situation, he experienced God's peace and presence. Now, the Bible describes peace this way in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, a favorite passage I know of many of you. Be anxious for nothing or be filled with worry about nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, now it describes it this way, which is so interesting, which surpasses all comprehension. Some translations say, which surpasses all understanding. Which is, it's like anyone who wants to preach on God's peace, they they almost need to qualify in the very beginning. I'm going to tell you something that you're not going to understand, and quite frankly, I don't understand either. Because it's that what you can experience when people say that it's impossible. And then he says, this is where, it'll, that, where it will occur. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's, it's the patrolman uh, who is out there on the guard, protecting from the enemy that will come. That's what God's peace will be. Not when there needs to be no one on guard, but when there needs to be someone on guard. I'll give you that which is that which will be experiencing contentment and rest in the midst of the storm in the struggles of life. So what, what does God want us to remember about peace at Christmas? It's that which he wants to give us. And when we need it, we need it when we don't have the wise in the house. We need it when we recognize that we fall short as well as everybody else. We're honest about our sin. We need it when we truly come to that point in our life where God is saying, do you trust me? Do you believe I can do the impossible to give you peace in the midst of all you're going through? And then when you're willing to put your faith on the line, say, I'll do what you want me to do. I'm going to close with this particular passage. This so what is, uh, this message is a very simple, it's got a one note. We had the bells singing all kinds of, this is a one note message. God wants to give you peace. And this is an interesting passage in the Christmas story, Luke chapter 1, verses 78 and 79. It says, because of the tender mercy of our God, God giving us um, 
by grace, what we don't deserve, mercy is not getting, giving us what we do deserve. What we did deserve is God not sending His Son. But because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. And that's a, that's a, there's many names or titles of Jesus. Jesus' name, Emmanuel, was one of his titles. Son of man, son of God, all those. Well, sunrise is one of his titles as well. He's the one who put the sun in the sky, and he's the one that allows it to rise each day. Uh, and he's going to visit us on this planet. And then it says this in verse 79. Do shine upon those who sit in darkness. When do you need a light? When it's dark. And the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of what? Peace. The Christmas story is about, among other things, telling us that we need to have peace with God and experience the peace of God. Being reconciled to God and experience the rest of God. Let's be people who have experienced God's peace and share His peace with others. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you that you don't leave us in the dark, but you bring the light. You don't leave us in the conflict. You bring us comfort. You don't allow us to stay overwhelmed by the problems, but you give us peace. But for us to experience that, we need to admit our need and turn from that which dishonors you, our sin. We need to believe that Jesus fully paid the penalty for our sins and rose again. We need to commit to follow Jesus as our Lord, God, and Savior. We need to be willing to trust you for that which at times seems impossible, and we need to be willing to do what you want us to do and what you've told us to do. Help us to experience your peace in a deep and personal way, not only during this season of 2015, but every day you leave us here on this planet. Might we experience your presence in a way that we experience your rest. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's stand as we sing this.